Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, for many people, Christmas is one of their favorite times of year. And I don't know if you're like me. I love Christmas. I think Christmas is probably my favorite season of the entire year. Uh, in fact, if you ever meet somebody and they're like, man, I hate Christmas, I would be really maybe concerned. Would you like to go to counseling with me? I think you might need some help. The, the bottom line is that um, it is a very fun time for a lot of people, but it also true universally is it's a very busy time. There's a lot going on. In fact, the most common refrain I ask people uh, when, I, when I talk to people, I'll say, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm good, just busy. Right? Can you relate? I'm good, just busy. It seems like uh, no matter what your stage of life is, whether you're, you're, you've got young kids or you've got older kids or you're newly married or you're just out of college or you're just starting your career, it doesn't matter. It seems like uh, life never seems to slow down. And it seems like there's never more hours in the day. So it just is. And so we're all hurried and there's always a sense of hurry and hurry actually can crowd our souls and make the spiritual life really difficult. Today we're talking about one of the names that is given to Jesus by the prophet Isaiah, the Messiah will have a father who is everlasting, everlasting father, or the the proper translation in Hebrew is abiyad, which means my father is everlasting, that, that hints toward the eternal nature of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, which again ties to mighty God. Jesus is going to be outside of time here. And if we look at Jesus's life, and it, indeed the narrative of the story, God being outside of time never seems to be hurried or anxious. You never see Jesus saying, listen, I'd love to help you but man, I have got a plane to catch, so I'm going to leave Thomas here. He's going to he's going to help you out. Or you never see Jesus being like, uh, "Man, would you hurry up with the wine? I mean, come on, uh, we've got places to be here, people." Um, Jesus seems his schedule is full, but Jesus is remarkably unhurried, right? And so, if we as people want to live like Jesus, we have to learn about our eternal Father how he's outside of time, and the way he views time, and to prioritize time in a certain way. And in, in the words of the great theologian Dallas Willard, we have to learn how to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. So we're here to talk about that. I've got David Kim here on the podcast. David is the discipleship and formation pastor here at Westgate Church. He helps with all those kinds of issues, including what does it mean for us to be formed as people who don't hurry. So he's got his own journey, his own story about that, what God did in him and with him, and that he's going to share that and also share some some real practical ways that um, we can begin to slow down. Again, this is not like, oh, all my problems are solved because I listened to a podcast. This is just the beginning of Think of us as the pretzels at the bar. We're just here to whet your appetite. We are not the beer. The beer is Jesus. Uh, he's the living water and the living beer. He's the Miller light of our spiritual life. That doesn't make any sense. That's a terrible analogy, but you get what I'm saying. We're here to just begin the conversation, and if you feel this tension deep in your heart and your soul that you are too hurried, and believe me, I feel this deep in my soul, that your life is crowded out, like you don't have as much space to really live with God, the with God life. If you're worried about just having a life where you're skimming and not really going deep, into the things that God wants you to do, then uh, welcome to the club. And we're here to start that conversation and to begin to take steps to live like Jesus and to partner with him. After all, the Advent is a time where we learn that Jesus is with us, wants to be with us, and we can create room for that. So with that, let's dive in. David, Kim, and I will have a conversation about that. Not that we're experts, but that we're on a journey, and maybe you'll join us on that journey. So with that, let's dive right in. (laughs) 
All right. Well, here in the studio, welcome to the afterword, Dave, Vid, Kim. Very exciting. Hi. It's super exciting to be here. All right. Well, David, um, I'm going to read you a couple of quotes, okay? And then I want your reaction to these quotes. And then, uh, then we'll get into it. So Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Meyer Friedman defined hurry is, above all, a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time, frequently in the face of opposition, real or imagined from other people. Soren Kierkegaard said, the press of busyness is like a charm. Its power swells. It reaches out always to lay hold of ever younger victims so that childhood or youth are scarcely allowed the quiet and retirement in which the eternal may unfold a divine growth. Ronald Rollheiser, Catholic theologian, said this, It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual. We are more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. And in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, John Ortberg, author and pastor, says, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. My, my question to you, David, is uh, do you see hurry as, well, first of all, what do you think of those quotes? And then uh, on a scale of like most dangerous to least dangerous enemies to people in the Bay Area and their spiritual life, where would you put hurry as, as an enemy? Yeah, that's so fascinating because uh, growing up, I really thought hurry is a, sign of godliness um, wow. that if you are busy and if you are uh, demanded uh, much from you, uh, that means that you are doing something amazing for the kingdom, that you are uh, worth keeping around, that you have something uh, important and profound to say. And so therefore busyness, I would always equate that as a sign of maturity, wisdom, and, and impact, godliness. yeah, yeah, and, and, and yeah. impact. You've of got course. a yeah, you've got something big going on. And so, more and more that I've been engaged with my own journey, my own soul, and and how busyness actually that we would use it as a uh, badge of honor. But I'm realizing more and more, yeah, that I agree with these quotes that it's it's actually undoing uh, humanity that um, that it's distracting us from what matters most. That in the midst of the doing, 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 that we miss the mark altogether, that we're called to be a person of love. Uh, but if you are too busy and too tired, you can't be fully present and and fully be a person of love. And so what's ending, uh, what, en- what ends up happening is that in, um, in your busyness, uh, instead of becoming more like Jesus in, in your calm, non-anxious presence, you actually become more anxious-filled, insecure, a hyper vigilant individual um, that cannot be present to anything with God and with others. So therefore, you are not becoming a person of love. You're becoming a person that is constantly looking for the next big thing. Yeah. 
Well, it does seem like, you know, I was thinking about this. We light the Advent candles of hope and joy and peace. It seems like hurry is impossible, makes all those things impossible. <laughs> hurry makes yeah. love difficult or impossible. Hurry makes peace impossible and it makes joy impossible. Uh, before we get into like the, the nuts and bolts of this, um, I know just because I know you because you're a, a friend, you actually this is one of the areas where God did kind of the biggest amount of work in your life. And it was kind of, I would say kind of recent, uh, the last couple, I guess, five years or so. Um, do you, for folks who don't know, uh, you want to share a little bit of your story about, about hurry and about how God kind of freed you from, uh, from hurry or his movements to kind of help you be free from hurry. Yeah. So, um, man, without really, I mean, I love my parents, but, and I'm trying to be careful here. I don't want to, I'm not really bashing them. It's something that, um, that I think what I heard from just growing up, my dad's a pastor of a large church. And so in New York the, city, kind of the pressure, a big, a big, a big bustling city, right? Yeah. In New York city. And so the kind of the, the theme that I heard growing up is that in order to be loved by God, that I need to also be a mega church pastor. So I got to work <laughs> and grind and make it into the big mega church. Those are the, the people it, who God likes the most. Yeah. And yeah. small church pastors, uh, God can't see them because they're so small. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, <man>. So <laughs> it's like Google Maps, right? It's <laughs> got to be as big as. You got to be big. Uh, oh, and, man. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, as funny that as it sounds, uh, that's been my journey. And so I try to just achieve and accumulate and to make something big of myself in order that God may see me, God may notice me, God may notice my work and say to me that, wow, David, you are incredible at what you do. You are worth keeping around and let me give you a promotion into my kingdom and let me make you the big star that's going to bring about great impact for my kingdom and you win and I win. And that's kind of the trajectory that I was going. And obviously I didn't know how harmful that was. Um, and so. Yeah. I Cause you're swimming leaving. in it, right? You're swimming in it. Yeah. And it didn't make the matters. Uh, and what ended up happening is that um, I came to the States when I was 10 and the, the immigrant culture and life also played a big factor in it that we had to come we have to grind. We have to survive. We got to make it here. So let's work hard so that the hard work immigrant ethic is in me. Uh, and not all of it is bad. Uh, we're here sure. to survive and 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 settle and find our community and belonging and, and build our community. I get that. But what ended up happening is that that kind of uh, grind and achieve mentality uh, began to kick in into my own spiritual and family life. And it ended up actually just um, integrating into all um, rhythms of my own journey. So long story short. Um, like, would you say that's like workaholism? Is that is that a good way to say it? Uh, or what's a shorthand for it? Yeah. Yeah, that is. And um, so what that ended up doing in me is that now – everything is urgent. That's been kind of my motto. So so uh, everything is a priority. Everything is urgent. Every email that I get, every assignment that I've been asked, that it is, it, it becomes a priority in my life. And so everything else takes second or third place in my own journey. And so 
uh, that made me into a kind of a hypervigilant person for sure. I didn't know it at the time. Um, in that process, I came to Westgate and, um, ah, man, this is so embarrassing to say, but by the time I got to Westgate, Westgate, um, it's a big church. And so I thought to myself secretly, I made it. I, it paid off. Uh, I don't want to admit that, but that's the reality. And and in the process, uh, they asked me to be the campus pastor of our next location. So I'm, I'm in my own spirit. I could sense my um, pride bubbling up and saying, my goodness, like I'm finally here in Silicon Valley representing Westgate's uh, third campus. And so, um, of course, I didn't say those words. I said, it's all for you, Jesus, and I'll work hard, <laughs> I'll be faithful, and I'll right. be a team player. But that's what was really going on inside my own soul. And um, earlier into the launch, on our way to our service, uh, Memorial Day weekend at Sunnyvale, we had an evening service uh, that was 5 o'clock at that time. So around 3, 3.30, we were heading out and um, 280 and Lawrence Expressway, uh, where there's a lot of traffic all the time in the barrier post, uh, pre-COVID. Um, and uh, we were What stopped. year is this? We're in what uh, year? This is, uh, yeah, 2017, so five years ago. And um, So you're in the car with your wife, Nina, and then your two kids? Yeah, they're really young. Zoe was just a few months and Skylar's oh, one and a half. Okay. And, and uh, we had a small, dinky 2003 Toyota Matrix Nina's uh, college car, and we were on our way to Sunnyvale campus, and uh, we were stopped on a freeway, um, a lot of traffic, and the car behind us was going at 70 miles per hour and um, hit us full speed. And um, and we all recovered, but um, yeah, at that time, I thought I lost my girls, and I thought this would really, yeah, really be the end of it all. Did you see um, it? Ha did you see it in slow motion, or did did you? It just kind of you woke up and the car was destroyed and this the airbags were deployed. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see. You didn't even it, see it. I didn't even see it, and I turned around and the car seats weren't where it was supposed to be. The car so kind of had folded in on itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh my goodness! And so immediately I thought, oh my girls, and so. Yeah. Um, and I had a traumatic brain injury, so I couldn't see for about nine months and um, I couldn't work. Right. And so I know we're talking about busyness and hurry. And so when everything stopped, not by my choice, but by the situation that I was in, um, that mm. did something significant in me. Hmm. What, how would you, when you look back on it, what, how do you process what God did in that, in that time? Yeah, was it like I an intentional say, slowing or what was going on? It was a forced Sabbath for sure. <laughs> uh, forced uh, nine month Sabbath. But I remember about third week driving my girls. We had about 22 doctor's appointments a week, physical therapy, chiropractic, acupuncture, you name it. Uh, and we were going back and forth. And on my way to uh, the hospital, uh, with my two girls in the back getting treatments. I remember that day there was an important meeting at Westgate that I was supposed to attend and be a part of. And I was so mad, so mad that I was going to miss uh, this 
this important meeting at Westgate Church. I was mad at God. I was mad at my kids. I was mad at myself. And then I realized, my goodness, I care more about my work than my children's health. That's when I began to see and realize and the invitation from God to explore all the toxic um, understandings and habits that were really deeply entrenched in me. That at the end of the day, I care about climbing up than my own children's health and well-being. Man. That's an invitation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The the mandatory sentence that God imposed on you of Sabbath. Um, what, uh, what did you learn at that time, I guess, um, just about hurry and rush and, and busyness? Um, what kinds of things did God undo or rewrite, rewire? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the first thing is that, the world still moves on without me. <laughs> that was humbling. That the church and ministry and God's work is still happening and it's actually going great without my help. Oh, man. Uh, the, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. That that alone. I, I can... Yeah. So it's a five-year journey now um, that you've been on this. Um do you now now that you've you God's kind of rewired and helped you begin to to get out of that do you see other people do you see that their acute problems of hurriness a little bit better I mean when you see people rushed and hurried can you like diagnose it a little bit more quickly Definitely yeah what kind of and, what kind of stuff do you see How do you like, know when, how do you know when somebody is like in a state of hurry um or franticness or, you know, unbalance. Yeah. One of the big things that I've noticed in my life and others is when people are easily frustrated and annoyed. Ah, yeah. Yeah. That tells me that they're either, um, yeah, it shouldn't be a big deal, but you're making it into a big deal and you're constantly frustrated and annoyed. And, um, that tells me a lot about their, uh, unstillness in their soul. Unstillness. Hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the, I know that, um, one of the authors that have been helpful to both of us, cause we've talked about this and actually you just went to a conference. His name is John Mark Comer, uh, pastor out of Portland, kind of quit his church job and, uh, started, uh, kind of a parachurch organization just to help people with spiritual formation. Uh, he has a, he wrote a book called the ruthless elimination of hurry, which is actually taken from uh, a quote from John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted, a famous story of John Ortberg moving out to the West Coast, to the Bay Area, calling up his mentor, Dallas Willard, insane that Dallas Willard is your mentor. How crazy is that? Um, and uh, asks him, hey, what do I need to do? You know, give me some advice. And uh, Willard's famous quote to him is, um, you, you need to be ruthless about the elimination of hurry. And then Ortberg famously is like, okay, what else? What else? I wrote that down. What 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 next? <laughs> and he's like, that's it. Hurry is the great enemy of your life, your soul. So you gotta um, get through it. He uh, so he wrote that book, uh, the ruthless elimination of hurry, as a kind of modern uh, take on on that. And by modern, I mean within the last couple of years, he's got a nine point diagnostic 
for symptoms of hurry. I'm going to go through the list. And if Ooh. you could, if you can help me explain them and flush them out for our listeners, uh, and you hit on the number number one is irritability. Um, so huh. like what, what is, which is kind of a little bit about like frustration. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, I think people know what irritability is, but maybe you can kind of help uh, shed some light, a little deeper light on it. Yeah. Maybe not getting what you want. Um, yeah. I mean, let me ask you a question back. Um, when do you find yourself most irritable? Oh, uh, with my loved ones. It's never with strangers. I have incredible self-restraint with my with with, but it's with the people I'm closest to. And, so, and why do you feel that way when uh, with folks who are closer to you or closest to you? Uh, I think my emotional unhealth leaks out on them most because um, I don't know why we treat the people we love the most that we're closest to the worst. Uh, maybe we think that they'll take it. It's I don't. Know, it's really gross. But um, I, I I don't. I don't think it's about my colleagues or my, you know, my, the people are strangers. I think, I think it has more to do with, um, you know, who's closest to me. Yeah. So it's when I think about irritability, I think about like when our own expectations aren't met and, um, but they may not even know what those expectations may be. Yeah. And so we are constantly annoyed and frustrated because um, we haven't yeah. taken the time to like actually think about these things, right? Right. Because uh, the fast life does not easily make for the deep and thoughtful life. All right, next next symptom. So if you're super irritable, if you're irritated right now at us, I don't know, maybe do some soul searching. Next one, <laughs> hypersensitivity. Um, and uh, John Mark Comer talks this is like the idea that um, – you know, minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. So talk to me about hypersensitivity. I think this has to do with emotional volatility. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, like making a big, I, I mentioned it earlier, but making a big deal out of small things. So like, for example, um, my daughter, like she's like four years old and she spills milk. And I just think that children should <laughs> be punished by the living God, right? Like I just lose it and I, I yell and I, I get upset and frustrated and I'm cleaning out of anger and frustration. I'm telling her she should never do that again, which isn't really impossible because <laughs> I still, I still spill milk. Right? And so uh, making a big deal out of something so small, um, mm. hypersensitivity. Yeah, um, definitely. Next one is restlessness. Um it's mm. I, I think uh well it, how would you explain restlessness um you aren't able to um turn off your brain ah uh, yes yeah so yeah like at the peak of my love for work i mean i was going to sleep and dreaming about work i mean i can't even turn that brain off and so um yeah i, I think about the inability to just shut things off and uh, being present to things that are really dear and important to you right in front of you. I think of it as like checking your phone endlessly. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, that that's one of the ways that it's like a, a, a addiction, to, which leads us to the next one, workaholism, which I think everyone kind of understands that in general. Um, it, it's almost like it's, it's, it's not that you don't know when to stop. It's that you can't stop. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
like mm-hmm. it's like obsessive you know what i mean um yeah it, how like you refresh your gmail like every few seconds not that i've ever done that before <laughs> now it's weird because it does feel like the bay area might tend toward workaholism more than most regions in the u.s so right. like do you have a uh, uh, like a a 50-hour work week's pretty common around here it just because yeah. you work 50 hours does that mean you're a workaholic or is there something uh, something else that's going on i mean was it was it John Ortberg who said, you know, people move here for for work, not for relationships? Yeah, that was Ortberg. Def- yeah. Yeah. So definitely people come here with the intent to achieve and accumulate and to make themselves a little bit more successful in their own careers or life. And so definitely I do see that as a, a common posture for people working in Silicon Valley. And it's expensive to live here as well. Yeah, so, so people got to work maybe hard. Maybe if yeah. I work a little bit more, I'll get that promotion, which means I'll be a little bit more comfortable living in Silicon Valley. So that's got to be a factor in there. I had a I had a friend who knew he was a workaholic when he started resenting his children because they cut down on his productivity. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's yeah. it's it's not so much that you work hard, it's that there's no there's no boundaries and no lines, right? Yeah, and and there's something to be said about most of our tech companies, they give you unlimited vacation days, right? Yeah. <laughs> but most people don't take them. Yeah. Um, well, it's, uh, I mean, it's even more insidious. My wife's company also has uh, unlimited vacation days. And then she'll she'll go in and say, hey, can I have these days off? And they'll be like, wait, you're going to take a whole week? You know mm. the you know the CEO only took four vacation days last year, right? So they use it against you, huh? Yeah, it's it's in it because they don't want to keep it on the books, but it's it's really kind of insidious. It actually makes me super mad. Um, anyway, uh, emotional numbness. Um, talk to me about um, as a symptom of of speed. Emotional numbness. I think about um, just the current cultural climate of just watching a lot of um, Netflix or um, I would even say, yeah, like substance abuse, things where we don't have to process difficult feelings. Uh, avoiding and, uh, avoiding difficult feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And um, people yeah. say alcohol is your best friend because it'll be always there for you. Never challenge you. Never talk back. And just you can just continue to have alcohol right next to you. And so, yeah, I do think the way you numb yourself is through those kind of, um, yeah. It's almost like you can't feel anything or you're not going to feel things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Next one. Lack. Well, this is pretty easy. Lack of care for your body. Oh, this is just, this is straight physical. You're not sleeping. You, you don't have enough sleep. You don't have enough nutrition exercise. Um, sometimes it's weight. You're constantly exhausted. Yeah. You're always tired. Um, yeah. you know, you gain weight, you get sick multiple times a year, you wake yep. up tired. Um, and then, and by the way, this is, this is one that I, I realized when I had a problem, uh, not, it's not just weight gain. It was, I was using Advil and caffeine and quick food all the, t- you know what I mean? All the time there's, yeah. there was, it was like, just get me through this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, those, that's a symptom. Escapism, which kind of ties to emotional numbness. Um, right. Escapism is, is what, like, I mean, what would you? I mean, virtual reality is that, right? <laughs> you just escape. So that would be like, video, are... I mean, video games, TV, Netflix, movies. Yeah. Not that those things are necessarily bad, but I think they can result. Yeah, I think even 
reading can be escapism in a weird way. Yeah. Like uh, I had students who would read all the time and I'm like, it feels like you're trying to escape. Um, yep. Social media, like, oh, totally. When you're at work and you're like looking at your friend's vacation photos and be like, ah, I wish I was there. Yeah. That's a way to just escape my reality of whatever that's in front of me. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was a while there. My wife and I were uh, during COVID were Zillow, Zillowing all the time. Like, Look how much house we can get in <laughs> rural, rural Missouri. <laughs> Not that we would move to rural Missouri, but they do have mansions there for only eighty five thousand dollars or something. Uh, this I one, look at food, uh, food photos, Korean barbecue. <laughs> no, you watch those videos. What's it called? Um, my daughter watches. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Just people eating. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty self explanatory too. Your spiritual disciplines start slipping. Again, pr mm. prayer, Bible reading, they become either cold or non-existent in your life. Right. You have no time for silence and solitude, right? Because you're constantly doing stuff. And so, yeah. Yeah. One of the first things that that slips for me, I would say is, yeah, man, I would say scripture reading for me. Um, That's the first thing that I goes? Yeah, because I could say I I I've studied the Bible for so long, so yeah, I'm just gonna I can I could do a pass today, right? And yeah, and it becomes two days, and yeah, definitely. In yeah. My busyness, Scripture is the first thing to go, and I'm not seeing that as a good thing. That's um, I see that as a, a dangerous symptom. sign. Yeah, and the last one, isolation, um, which I think, uh, like I, well, how would you describe isolation? It's not just disconnected. Is it like disconnected from others and God, or? Or you're not praying for other people? What, what, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, when you are withdrawing from community uh, um, because you're so busy, um, I do think that's a sign uh, because community is a sign of health, isn't it? That you're leaning into people, you're caring for others. But when yeah. you can't love and care for other people because you're so busy doing your stuff, then that is a symptom of something you're bigger. like curved in on yourself. It's like a self-centeredness. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel it in that I actually stop praying for other people. Like when they, they don't come to mind. I'm only concerned about my own daily rigmarole. I'm not mm -hmm. carrying anyone else's burdens. I'm not caring about other people. Um, okay. Yeah. So let me go through these again real quick. Irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, workaholism, emotional numbness, lack of care for your body, escapism, Spiritual discipline starts slipping in isolation. Ah, uh, man, oh. <laughs> those are tough, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so let me ask you a question. Like, uh, let's say somebody says, "David, I suffer from three or four of those." Uh, like right now, I know that. That's, what's let's help people get out of here. Let's help people get out of that that state of hurry. What you said the word Sabbath earlier. Let's talk about Sabbath and and resting. Or let's talk about what Sabbath means. What is like? How do people get out of this, um, mm. this this kind of rat race? Um, before talking about Sabbathing, which is fundamentally a core uh, rhythm for us, I would say practically, man, if you are a Westgater, I I'm just gonna do a quick plug for life groups because for me, I mean, you and I are in a men men's group, yeah. and you guys literally help me get out of my. Uh, workaholic tendencies. Like I brought it to you guys and said, Hey guys, like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to get out. 
and you guys told me, hey, you should delete the, the, the Gmail app and this is you should limit it in this way. This is how you should set up boundaries. And this is what we can do to check in on you every morning. You should ask. I mean, there were so many ways in which you engaged with me. And so I would say lean into the very community that God has given you and just say, hey, guys, like I'm, I'm wrestling with this. And like, so don't try to do it alone wisdom and feedback yeah. and accountability. I mean. That's gotta be one of the main ways to tackle this. Yeah, Thoughts? don't do this. Don't do this alone. Don't try to yeah. to tackle this on your own. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So bringing this up to a life group and then having conversations about the patterns that you see, right? That's yeah. important. Uh. What I mean, but some of this stuff. I mean, that's that's critical. What uh, some of this stuff was private work that you had to do with God, right? So yeah. So part of it's like this inner work and the inner disciplines of this. Uh, having friends around you obviously will help you do that, but there's also a part of it that's kind of on you. Like you have to prioritize these yeah, things, right? Absolutely. So one of the ways that I think John Mark Comer talks about in Sabbath, like you got to stop and rest. And for me, uh, the day that's been helpful for me is Fridays. Uh, Westgate, we get most of us, not all, but most of us, we get Friday. Stuff. And so I've been really intentional about not scheduling meetings and not checking emails on Fridays. And uh, I'm not I'm not going to say I've, I've been perfect, but I would say before the car accident versus post car accident, uh, I would say 80 percent change in in terms of just blocking a whole day where I am not saying to myself, work is what makes me who I am. Right to say, God, I trust you. I lay them down before you. No matter what I do or what I don't do, you are still in control and you are still good and you're still moving things forward. And I trust you and I'm going to rest and I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to sleep. And so I do think that that's helped me uh, to be really intentional about my day off. What about for you, Tish? Uh, yeah, so... I I mean, as you as you know, I started Soul Care this year, and one of the mm. things you know that they talk about is, is Sabbathing, and so this is for it's a Soul Care is a program for pastors just to help them tend to their soul. And uh, I realized, and this is I don't this is kind of dumb. I always had a day off. Saturday was my day off, but Friday I used it uh, for seminary to do work on seminary, and then also I used it to do errands, and I did it. I used it to do like writing projects. And I was super workaholic. <laughs> it was mm. not, so there was no day off. And so I, now I use Fridays. I have no work scheduled. That doesn't mean like I'm, I can't go to the grocery store or if a car breaks down, I don't take it into the shop that, I mean, obviously there's things that, that happen, but it's a, it's a day of sleep. <laughs> it's a day of rest. I usually take super long hikes um, just to get out by myself. Um, and sometimes again, it's not possible. Like last week, my daughter was super sick. Uh, so I had to tend to her all day, but I was there with her and I'm just sitting, you know, you know, by the couch, like getting her stuff, but just not work. I'm not working. There's no pressure to work. It's just, um, I, I don't work no matter, you know, in general, I don't work. And I leave that to Saturday if I still, something needs to get done. And that has actually freed up my mental space to like rest go slow, breathe in. And, um, you know, again, sometimes things need to get done, but Saturday is my chore day. It's when, you know, the toilets get cleaned and the laundry gets done. And you know what I mean? That's the yeah. chore, the chore day. That's the, cause a day off sometimes for some people means, Oh, now I can do all the errands I need to do. 
And that's not really Sabbath, <laughs> you know? So it's, uh, I'm still learning a lot, but um, it has been really, really important. All right, so we talked about Sabbath a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about technology. Is that cool? Yeah. Uh, so uh, in the book, the, rest, uh, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer talks about 1370 as being an important moment in human history. That's the moment where the first public clock tower was erected in Cologne, Germany. And that's an important moment because before then, time was measured by the sun. And that was it. It's dark. Right. It's morning. It's evening. And that's it. And now, all of a sudden, you know, humans didn't know what hour it was, but now it's marched across by hours. Uh, a guy named Daniel Borstein, who wrote a book um, kind of a, about this moment, said, Here was man's declaration of independence from the sun, new proof of his mastery over himself and his surroundings. Only later would it be revealed that he had accomplished this mastery by putting himself under the dominion of a machine with imperious demands all of its own. So that's something. And then 1879, the light bulb comes on. Uh, Edison invents a light bulb. Before the light bulb, David, can you guess how many hours a day the average human slept? Twelve. It was 11. 11 hours a day. That's Incredible. like a, and That's insane, right? Right. Now you want to guess what that number is down to? Seven? Eight? Yeah, that seven. It's four hours less per day that humans sleep. I think that might have something to do with mental health. <laughs> right. It's interesting because if somebody were to ever say in our kind of cultural moment, I'm sleeping 11 hours a day, I would say you're a lazy bum. Right. Okay. Maybe I would say them, or maybe I would at least think that yeah. and say, wow, like. not You're super healthy and, and really, really balanced. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and, that, and then in 2007, there was this other moment. The iPhone was unleashed upon the world. And uh, a recent study said that uh, found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. So there's something about notifications. There's something about interruptions. There's something about um, the time we spend on phones. Uh, talk to me about your relationship to technology and how it can hurt us in our pursuit of hurry and what practices that you've you found have been helpful for people that you know. Yeah, one of the gifts or gifts of technology is that it's uh, speeding things up, right? Like I get to see my family. They still live in New York City and uh, my parents, and I could see them on a six-hour flight. If it was back in the 1300s. Uh, <laughs> you would never see your parents ever again. I would never yeah. see them ever again, yeah. It would take two and a half uh, months to go see them, and half of you would be dead by the time you reached uh, yeah. New York City. And yeah. if they moved their uh, location, I would never find them. <laughs> right. Oh, we've moved, but there's no way to tell you. Yes. Right, and so... That happened to um, me when I was in kindergarten. My parents moved, and I found them eventually. That was a joke. All right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I would say there's a gift in that, right? Um, but in in light of all that, um, that speed has um, brought incredible challenges in in which we navigate the world that we be, have become a lot more impatient. And so now slowness is uh, something that we do not really enjoy as a part of our life and as a follower of Jesus and Though in, in the way in which God works in our lives, much of it is very much a slow process, um, mm, and so good. I do think that yeah, the metaphor of yeah 
um, that the Bible uses is is a a Greg a Greg a Greg a, agrarian. A Greg. <laughs> what what happened to your mind? That was funny. Agrarian um, or organic growth, right? It's yes. uh, all the metaphors are about fruit trees and vines and those kinds of things. Yeah. So. You know that's so interesting. That that that's interesting. I, I was thinking about that. Um, down the street from our our house, they they built a Target, and a Lowe's like right next to each other, and it's like it went up in like a year. Like this whole they 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 raised these buildings, they they then put in new buildings, and they paved the parking lot, and it was open in like a year. That's mechanical growth, and that's what I think we expect God to do. But God is like organic growth, which is like a tree. And those things grow really slowly. <laughs> like there's times when you're like, is that thing even bigger? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that there's something about the organic growth that God is after that we hate as modern America. We just want things mechanical, like get it to me and get it to me now, you know? Yeah. And I think we get frustrated on our own spiritual growth that yeah. we want it faster. And yeah. so technology with all its gifts and, and, and all of that, I do think that it's making us a lot more frustrated yeah, in our way of journeying with God, actually. Yeah. So this is about Christmas. This is about Advent. It's about, you know, this this moment where Jesus is called the, um, uh, the, the term in Isaiah is everlasting father. Although that's a little confusing because we, we talked about this because um, the term actually, it's like, wait, Jesus is the son of, He's the second member of the Trinity. Isn't he the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How can he be the Father? Uh, but the Hebrew is like basically he's the uh, – his Father is everlasting. It's, it's you know, my Father is everlasting. Uh, he's outside of time, and his relationship with time is much slower and patient. Even as I was going through the Christmas story, there's all – I read it with, like, with an eye toward, like, what does the author, Luke – for example, say about the story. And, and, and it's really interesting, David. Listen to this. It's like Isaiah says, you know, that the the he will this this new Messiah will reign on David's throne and he will establish his kingdom and it will go on forever. And then all these verses in Luke are about time. Like in the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was this priest, and then he was chosen by a lot, right? And when mm. the time of burning of incense came, he goes in and the angel mm. comes to him. And then he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm old. It's beyond the time for my wife, right? Mm. And then the angel says, no, it, it will come true. And you'll be silent and not able to speak because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And then Elizabeth hears this and says, the Lord's done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace. Um, in the six months of, uh, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel uh, Gabriel to, to Mary. And so there's a sense of timing. And then the Holy Spirit will come on you and, and no word of God will ever fail. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to see her, her cousin. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, and at that time, Mary got ready. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and then Zechariah, you know, he, he praises God and says, God did this just as he said through his holy prophets long ago, but he did it. And then in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken. And when the time came for the baby to be born, there's this sense over and over again 
that there is somebody in charge of time and history, and it's not humans, but his timing is like really good, if not incredibly frustrating for humans. There's a real piece to to the way that Luke uses the the word time and the passage of time. It's like providential. God's mm. in control. There's no accidents here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that, that that's really, as I read the Christmas story this time, this year, I saw that in, in a fresh way, that these humans are not worried. Oh, they might have been worried, but it was very clear that God was in control, and his timing, um, even if it makes us impatient, was really good. And God, God's got this. But it's way slower, I think, and perhaps unexpected in ways that we, as humans, maybe we like to be in control more. <laughs> yeah. So much of Sabbath is like, yeah, surrendering then, huh? And letting go of our control and um, being reminded in our rest and in our stopness that at the end of the day, it is God who is on the throne and he's moving us and um, that we are not kings. And um, and that's great, actually. That's a good news. And But also and, that he's doing hmm. something, even if we can't see it. And that's yeah. that's the hope. Because, you know, he's doing something at the right time. He's, he, he, no word of God will fail, right? He's doing something. Yeah. Uh, and, but we just got to trust and surrender that. Oh, man, so much more to say. Any, any recommendations for folks who are trying to get out of uh, the hurry thing? Um, any, any, anything that, any final words of advice? Yeah, I would say if you are, if you are maybe a little bit more unaware like me uh, many years ago, uh, maybe that's something for you to ask. Uh, take those line lists that John Mark Homer provided and ask somebody, your spouse, your close friend, someone in your life group, like, do you see this in me uh, regularly? And if so, that might be a good way for you to check. Oh, wow. And, that's a yeah. dangerous exercise, David. Yeah. <laughs> To yeah. hand these to yeah, great uh, exercise yeah. to do on uh, Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but what you're saying is, hey, I want to get better at this. Do you see this in me? Um, that That's good. Yeah, because most people who are who are constantly busy, they may not see how busy they are. So yeah. this is a good uh, self-assessment for sure. Yeah, well, I'd love to stay and talk, David, but I got I got things to do, so I have to go. So I actually do. I'm a very busy for a meeting. I'm very uh, busy meeting, and I'm very I busy. Was going to interrupt. <laughs> I'm very uh, busy, but, uh, but uh, uh, I didn't because. <laughs> well, we're thanks for about the very thing. thanks for taking time uh, to be with us, and thanks for taking time to kind of go through this, and thanks for sharing your story. Uh, again, I think if we're going to make room for Jesus this season, uh, we really have to slow down. And uh, hurry might really be one of the great enemies of our spiritual. Thanks for sharing your story, David, and thanks for being on the podcast, man. See ya. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Just want to say thanks to David Kim for stopping by. Uh, always great to talk to you. Thanks, David, for sharing. Join us next week, which is our second to last week in this in this series. We're going to be talking about Jesus as a wonderful counselor. What does that mean? And that's a powerful uh, that's a powerful name too. We're going to delve into that. Andy Gridley and Steve Clifford will be here to talk about that. And so we'll see you next week. And uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs>